Welcome to episode four of the Lean Smarts podcast. We're back, and today we're going to talk about 10 questions you should consider before starting Lean. And it's because there is some easy recommendations to make that are commonly made about starting Lean, uh, particularly to start with 5S. But all those recommendations kind of have some basic assumptions um, associated with them. There are some organizations that are not ready even to start with 5S because some of the groundwork or foundation work that needs to be done first. And so these 10 questions are not exhaustive, but they'll help you evaluate your preparation for engaging people in the practice of continuous improvement. Some of these questions are more technical in their focus, and the majority of them are more focused towards people and leadership. So you'll see that coming through here. So here's question number one of the 10. Do you have management commitment? Top management commitment is critically important because management is the willpower of your organization. If management is not fully committed, you're not going to succeed long term. I love the joke that Masaki Imai makes about this. He wrote the book uh, Gemba Kaizen, and it's a great read. I very much recommend it. He says there's three keys to success with Kaizen. The first is manage, top management commitment because they have to be bought in because they have to lead the change, even become the change in the organization. And he says a little bit more about that. Then he says, here's the second key for success with Kaizen, top management commitment. And then here's the third key for success with Kaizen, top management commitment. And he's driving the point that you have to have this. You can't skip past step number one or key number one and move on to more exciting things. No, you have to have top management commitment. You cannot delegate lean to someone else, make it someone else's responsibility. Instead, you, if you are top management, you have to become the change that you want to see in your organization because change starts with you. People change. And then changed people will transform the company. Here's question number two. Do you have metrics to measure production performance? Now, you don't have to have exhaustive metrics, but I do love to work with smaller uh, companies, smaller sized organizations. And some organizations do not have mature metrics or even systems to measure the performance of the company. Metrics are helpful because it helps you measure your current situation and know when you've made a significant improvement and change by a quantitative change in your metrics. Also, if you need to maintain buy-in throughout the organization, it's harder to keep that buy-in when you cannot measure the impact of your hard-earned efforts. So have metrics. Basic metrics like lead time, uh, how many units per hour are made, or how many man hours go into every unit, or the number of defects per month, a quality measure, or defects per million, or inventory turns, how often inventory is rotated uh, in the building, or how much space is taken up. Even measures like that can be helpful. Um, I go into this more in the course Fundamentals of Lean, uh, especially hour-over-hour boards, which are one type of process metric. So narrowing it down to an individual process, you can get that granular here. 
um, to measure your performance. It's very helpful. You do not have to have a big system or expensive software to do this. I've worked with some companies that don't have really any software, but there are simple metrics you can start using right away that um, help drive engagement at least and can be measured by anyone on the production floor. The third question is, do you have clear and accurate production instruction? This might seem a little bit basic, but some companies, especially those that do a more custom product or service, may have some struggle here with having clear product specs or work methods or process parameters available on the production floor. And that is a holdup because if you don't have a standard, a clear standard, the first improvement is to establish one, to make one. If you don't have a clear spec on the product or an accurate drawing for what it is that you're making, then um, that is very wasteful and confusing and it holds everyone back and it holds the improvement work back. So you've got to have clarity of what is required on the production floor. And that actually spills into the next question, question number four of, do you have adequate design and development support? Now this phrase, design and development, is really borrowed from ISO 9001. You may or may not have this function in your organization, and that's okay. My wife and I run a donut business, and there is no D&D, design and development, in terms of a, you know official function or process. Um, but there is engineering work, even though we're not engineers by title or research and development in which my wife is crafting recipes for glazes and uh, donut doughs and, uh, you know, toppings. These things need to be worked out before I'm in the commercial kitchen trying to make the donut. If it's not worked out before I have my boots on the ground trying to make a donut, then I waste my time doing engineering work that wasn't done up front. And that should not be the case. You want your production people to be able to receive the manufacturing you know, uh, instructions and then just run with it, not have to back up three steps and figure out, wait, what did the customer want? How is this supposed to be performed? What's the correct recipe? Oh, this isn't working anyway, so now I got to engineer it. So it's something that you know can be produced on the production floor. You don't want that. So do you have adequate design and development support? Whether or not you have a, an official engineering or R&D or D&D group or, or um, process. Question number five is, do you have true teamwork? Teamwork is something that it, it's easy for you to say, sure, like we're a team. We work together as a team. A lot of companies will say, we're a family. We've been together for you know, 20 years or 30 years, and we're really tight-knit in the family. Well, just because you are a family doesn't mean that you're performing and functioning like a team. They're actually different. So do you have true teamwork in which there is um, there are problems? You bring problems to the surface, problems to everyone's attention, and there's accountability for solving problems, accountability for performance. I mean, every team keeps a score, in a record of, of what's being accomplished. And when a team, just think of a sports team even, when a team gets together, they, they practice what's broken. They practice what's not, what, what isn't working. They develop standards 
and there, it's, there's no blame orientation. It's very goal-oriented, which it doesn't matter if you're the forward, the midfield, you know, whatever department or role you have in the team. The whole team has to work together to get you know, a job done. Um, you got to have true teamwork. And um, every company is somewhere on the spectrum of world-class, exceptional teamwork. And then I don't know what you would call the opposite of that, but the opposite you need to gauge your teamwork because you've got to elevate that and, and take it to the highest level you can if you're going to truly succeed here. Question number six, do associates fear or mistrust management? This is an unfortunate challenge, but one that is present in a lot of organizations to one degree or another. It could be because of um, inconsistency in the past. Management focuses on one thing and then it, it changes and uh, diverts its attention to something else in just you know a couple months or next quarter, whatever it is. If that's the case and there's inconsistency, then people will have a harder time believing when you say, hey, we're going to do 5S or we're going to learn Kaizen and do this project or whatever. They're going to have a harder time taking you seriously and trusting what you say and then getting on board with it. Similarly, it's possible that there have been actions performed in the past by management that have harmed people and people got to work through that. Um, and you will have to work with, with people one-on-one, perhaps even to um, get their engagement and participation. Or you might have a management team that is less experienced and carries less uh, influence and um, you know, leadership capability in the organization. So you got to be mindful to this. Uh, the seventh question is, do you have managers who will resist? You may have managers or departments that will rise to the challenge and just move forward with whatever it is that is in your heart to do. And there's others that will drag their heels. They may not resist you um, overtly, you know, in the open, but might be passive, passively just kind of, you know, holding back. And that's undesirable. So you need to be mindful of that. Could be a motivation problem. Could be a skill problem. Could be um, a, a need for training and, and understanding for them to then run with whatever expectation that you have. There will always be pockets in an organization that are moving at a faster or slower pace than other areas of the organization. The fifth question is, do you have strong frontline leaders? Because the best of the best organizations have a ton of leaders. Some of the most world-class lean thinking organizations will have one leader, commonly called a team leader, for every five associates, which means there are a lot more leaders in that organization than uh, their counterparts or competitors. There might be one supervisor or manager for every 20 or 30 people, which means that the leadership is diluted in the organization. And also that every associate gets less one-on-one -on -one focus, and, uh, which is important for their development and growth. You want teaching and coaching to happen all the time everywhere so that all, the, all your people are improving. How do you do that? when you've got 30 people who all have to get it from you. Well, it's a lot more achievable 
when you have many leaders. So you want to craft an organization in which you're developing leaders who develop people and have tons of leaders. And it's good for long-term planning and the legacy of your organization because it creates continuity from generation to generation even um, as leaders are grown and you know rise up through the ranks and continue the mission of, of the organization. So do you have strong frontline leaders? If you don't, you need to take a long-term perspective and recognize that, man, if I really want to take this far, I've got to devote some time to elevating the, the quantity and quality of leaders in the organization and get a lot more. Question number nine. Have you already set a precedent for teaching and developing people? If you have, then it'll be a lot easier to then roll out, you know, lean or 5S or value stream mapping or Kaizen, whatever it is. If you haven't, you might be putting the cart before the horse when you choose some tool and start trying to improve your processes because you got to improve your people. You got to be investing in people. And it's not enough just to put your money where your mouth is, sending people off to training and, you know, uh, buying courses or books or what, what have you. But put your time where your mouth is, meaning are you devoting time to the development of people in your company? If there's not time on the calendar that, you're, that you schedule or you just make happen every single day, then you should question your value for whatever that is. In this case, the training and growth of, of people. So have you set a precedent for this? If you haven't, it's really easy to get started with a daily startup, you know, a huddle meeting in which you focus on performance and problem solving, continuous improvement, you know, down down the road even, maybe not even up front, but also developing people when you get them together for five to 15 minutes, whatever it is, in a huddle. You can accomplish a lot and lay a framework for investing in people and growing their capabilities. The last question, question 10, do you understand that 5S won't solve quality or change your production flow? I throw this one in here because 5S is easily recommended, but it's not the antidote for everything. It will help you a lot. It will create clarity. It'll create two things, really, productivity and abnormality detection. So you can see at a glance when something is not normal, but... It's not going to solve a lot of um, inherent quality issues. It's not going to error-proof or pokeyoka your processes so that you don't have defects anymore. It's not going to build quality in at the source. Sure, you might catch more issues because of that abnormality detection and keeping things clean and shiny and inspecting as you go. But um, quality has a lot further to go than just that. Secondly, 5S doesn't on a macro scale, change your flow. Yes, when you set an order and have maybe apply min-maxes to inventories and things of that sort, that can help flow in some ways. But if you're only thinking with 5S, you know, wearing your 5S hat on your head, you're not necessarily going to address, you know, uh, bottlenecks and in inventories here and there and um, develop work cells or um, the handling of inventory in, in Kanban or whatever it is. So 
just recognize that 5S, yeah, it's super helpful. Um, it can accomplish a ton, especially in capturing engagement and everyone's participation. But it is not the finish line by any means. It's just a starting point that never finishes. There are other things you'll need to do, and they'll be easier to do when you have the clarity of a 5S environment around you. It'll be more obvious about where to focus next. So um, that question is really just included for you know, awareness, which will come through in how you communicate and how you lead people through change. Because lean is continuous change. It's a continuous change management challenge. So here are the 10 questions. It's not exhaustive. It's just a list. Some that I've experienced firsthand more than others. But they will help you evaluate and gauge your preparation for really taking people along with you. Because lean is about growing and developing people. It's people-centric. Of course, training is invaluable for developing people. And that's why the Lean Smarts Academy exists and is available to you. But I'm not going to lie. It's not the end-all be-all. You cannot shortcut the need for one-on-one teaching and coaching people. That has to happen. And a video will not do it for you. Case in point, I've got three little kids and sending them to school is no substitute for my involvement as a parent in their life. In the same way, managers, team leaders, supervisors have to make a choice to personally change and then also be involved in the development of people all around them. And companies sometimes don't get started because they just don't have a resource to run with. So that's why the Lean Smarts Academy exists. You can um, subscribe. There's different membership levels. It's basically like the Netflix of manufacturing. You can learn all about 5S, the seven ways of lean, um, Kaizen, uh, standardization, standard work, lean fundamentals. It's all there. And it's to save you the effort and time of creating these resources in-house. You can click the video and then apply it to your own unique situation, however is needed. If you're looking for more lean education, just head on over to leansmarts.com. There's a ton of great resources and free resources there. And I'll talk to you again soon here at the Lean Smarts Podcast.